Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been speaking to us by your Spirit, uh, through your Word, um, as your Word has been read. And we ask now, Lord, as we come to consider this Word, uh, that your Spirit will continue that work, that it will be opening our eyes to see Jesus better, uh, that we might love him more, that we might obey him and give him his rightful place in our lives. And we ask your Spirit will be helping me, enabling me to preach your Word clearly and faithfully and and in his power, and we pray that he would be at work in each of our hearts. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please be seated, and please could you um, keep your Bibles open to page 1010, Mark chapter 11, looking at verses 27 to 33. Mark 11, 27 to 33, page 1010, in case you've lost your page. Also on your way in, uh, one of the things you received on your way in was the bulletin, the white bulletin. Uh, and in the middle page of those bulletin, uh, you will see the sermon outline. Uh, so it be helpful to have that open in front of you as well. Uh, see, just follow where we're up to. But Mark 11, beginning from verse 27. Well, imagine you went out one day. And you came home to find me in your house. And there I was, clearing it out. I was throwing away the things I didn't want. I was painting it a color that I like. And I was putting up my photos on your walls. What would you say? Well, I can imagine you might say all kinds of things. But among the things that you might say might be something like this. What gives you the right to come to my house and do all these things? Who gave you the authority to treat my house as if it were yours? What right have you got, Andrew, to do these things in my home? When Jesus came to Jerusalem, the first part of Mark, first part of Mark 11, he went straight to the temple. He looked around there, and then he went off. And the next day, he came back to the temple. He came back not as a tourist, not as a pilgrim, but as someone who seemed to think he was in charge there. Remember, we saw that last week. He went to the temple, and he threw out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the, the tables and the money changers and, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And then he was teaching in the temple. People were listening to him. And what he taught was very subversive. We saw last week that the language he used in denouncing what was happening in the temple carefully and deliberately echoed the language of the prophet Jeremiah when he had prophesied its destruction. And so the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, the, the religious elite who controlled the temple, they wanted to destroy him. But they feared to do that because the crowd were astonished at his teaching. And so he wondered what was going to happen. And then nothing really happened that day after that. Jesus went back to where he was staying, and, and that's where we left it last Sunday. But today, well... In our passage today, 
he's come back to Jerusalem again. And here he is in verse 27, walking in the temple. So Jesus is not about to disappear. He didn't just go and make his point and then retreat back to Galilee. No, 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 no. This is the third time he's been there since he arrived in Jerusalem this week. The Jewish religious elite cannot ignore him anymore. He's becoming a threat. The confrontation must happen. And so in verse 28, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they come to him and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? What right have you got? We are the temple authorities. We are the guardians of the temple. We are in charge here. We didn't give you permission. So what right have you to do the things that you're doing? By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do them? Jesus doesn't answer their question, at least not directly. Instead, he throws another question to them. He says in verse 29, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's the question, verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me, he says. Now, to understand this question, we need to remember that this John that Jesus is referring to here is, is John the Baptist, isn't it? And we've seen him earlier in Mark's gospel. Right at the beginning of Mark, he was identified as the messenger that God had sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He called Israel to repent because the kingdom of God was about to come. God was going to come and save his people. And many, many people in Israel, they believed in him. They repented. They were baptized by him as a sign of repentance. But John told the people that actually he was preparing the way for someone greater. After me, he said, comes he that is mightier than I. The, 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 the strap of his sandals, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. After me comes this one. And then what happens? Jesus came. He's baptized by John. Begins his ministry. And his ministry is becoming bigger. It's growing. And then John is arrested. And eventually John is beheaded by the evil King Herod. And when the chief priests and the scribes and the elders... Ask Jesus what right he has to do what he's doing in the temple. Jesus asked them a question about John. You want to know what authority I have? Was John's baptism from heaven or from man? Do you accept John the Baptist as a prophet from God? Answer me, he says. Well, how are they going to answer? We get a bit of insight into their, into their thought process from verse 31 onwards. They deliberate. They discuss with each other. Here's what they say. If we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? 
Well, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. Can you see they're not really sincere in wanting to work out who is John? What they're trying to do is work out what is the best political answer for their purposes. They decide to take the safe route. And so in verse 33, they say to Jesus, we do not know. We don't know. They don't want to answer the question. And Jesus says to them, Verse 33, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now let's think about Jesus' response a little more carefully. Was it just, okay, you asked me a hard question, so I'll ask you an unrelated hard question. If you can't answer me, then I won't answer you. Was it any different from saying, all right, I'll answer your question if you tell me how many moons does Jupiter have? Or tell me the speed of light to seven decimal places. It's not bad, is it? You see, the answer to the question that Jesus asked the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, the, the question about John the Baptist, if they had answered it correctly, then that would have given them the answer to the question that they asked him. And by refusing to answer the question that he asked them, it shows that they are not sincere in asking him the question they asked him. It was all a game. And so they never got the answer to the question that they asked. Can I say, there may be people here tonight who are not yet followers of Jesus, we love to have you in church. Thank you so much for coming tonight. It's wonderful that you can come and be among us and hear God's word. And, and you know what? We also love you to ask questions. Ask lots of questions. All right? Feel free to come out to any one of us after church. Ask questions. If you don't know the answer, send it to one of the pastoral team. We'd love to ask questions. Hey, a bit shy to ask questions, put questions on a blue card, drop it in the Perspex box. Or come back on Tuesday night. Tuesday night, 7.30, we're having a session here where we will talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus and we have a Q&A. You can write questions, we'll answer. We love answering questions. That's a good thing. But please be sincere in your questions. If you have genuine questions, if you want to know certain things to make an informed decision about the Christian faith, that's terrific. But if you're like these religious leaders who are questioning only just to, in order to attack, didn't really want to know the answers, well, you'll never get the answers that you want. Question by all means, not to play games, and certainly not to hide from the God you know is really there. So let's go back to, to Jesus' question about John. How does the question that Jesus asked give the answer to the question that they asked? How does the question of John the Baptist answer the question about the authority of Jesus to do what he's been doing? Well, John the Baptist often referred back to a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Malachi when asked about his role. Malachi was the last prophet in the Old Testament, 
And he prophesied not only about Jesus, but he also prophesied about John. Come with me to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. That was part of our Old Testament reading. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. That is on page 956. Page 956. I'll give you a moment to find it. Page 956, Malachi chapter 3. Here's Malachi's prophecy. And God is speaking through Malachi. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, is that a little bit familiar? Well, those of you who, who, who've read the New Testament a few times, you probably think that is familiar because we see this quote a number of times referring to who? To John the Baptist, isn't it? Right? Who is this messenger? It's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was going to prepare the way for, well, let's have a look and see. I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Who's the me here? Well, look at the, look at the verse. Who's talking? Look at the end of the verse. Who is talking? Says who? Says the Lord of hosts. The Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, the almighty God. What's he saying? I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me, says the Lord of hosts, says Yahweh, almighty God. So if John was truly a prophet, if he really was this messenger that he claimed to be, and if he really prepared the way for Jesus as he said he did, if he really was from God, then who is Jesus that he prepared the way for? He must be God, isn't it? The prophecy continues. Second half of verse 3. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Temple. Whose temple? The chief priest's temple? The scribe's temple? The elder's temple? No, 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 no. God's temple. God would come to his very own temple. The messenger will come first, and then God will come to his temple. Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave the authority? He is God come to his temple. If they thought about John and they thought about the Old Testament, they would have known the answer. If John is a genuine prophet of God, Jesus had to be God come to his own temple. And if he is God come to his temple, he has every right to do whatever he likes in his temple. It was they who ought to submit to him. It was they who ought to have come to him and say, Lord, welcome to your temple. Please take it over. We are your servants. But of course they don't. They were custodians of his temple, but they were using it for their own ends. They were entrusted with the temple, but 
They developed their own vested interests. They were guardians of the temple, but they exploited it as their own. And when the Lord of the temple came to his temple, they opposed him. And they say, what right have you got to do these things here? Well, how does this passage apply to us? What are the implications for our lives? There are three things I want to say. First and foremost, we are reminded that Jesus has the right to rule our lives. Jesus has the right to rule our lives. The fact that he is God meant that he had every right to take over the temple. And the fact that he is God means that he has every right to take over our lives. He has every right to rule us, to tell us what to do, to be our Lord. He will rule us by His Spirit through His Word. He calls us to obey Him. Do you recognize Jesus as the rightful ruler of your life? Do you recognize Jesus as the rightful ruler of your life, or do you try to avoid this reality like the Jewish religious elite? If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, may I urge you to do it today. He can forgive you of your failure to do so in the past through his death on the cross in your place. And he will forgive you if you give your life to him. He has every right to be your Lord. He has every right to rule the life of every person. Jesus has the right to rule our lives. Second implication is that Jesus has the right to rule his temples. Jesus has the right to rule his temple. Now, hang on a moment, I hear you say. Andrew, didn't Jesus' death on the cross mean the temple is obsolete? Wasn't Jesus the once and for all sacrifice for our sins on the cross? Why do we need temple sacrifice anymore, isn't it? We don't. And isn't Jesus the great high priest who who offered that sacrifice once and for all himself? And when Jesus died and rose again, didn't he put an end to the old sacrificial system which was based in the temple? Doesn't it make the temple now defunct and redundant? Well, the answer is yes. You're right. It does. But the concept of the temple was transformed or or rather fulfilled by Jesus. The temple was pointing forward to something else. First and foremost, Jesus himself is the temple. He's the true temple. The temple is where you meet God. Jesus is the place where you really meet God, isn't it? Destroy this temple, Jesus said, and I will will raise it in three days. And he was talking about the temple of his body. Jesus is the temple. And that's the primary place where the New Testament goes now. That's the temple. And after that, that category of temple is transformed yet again. Because... God's Spirit dwells 
in those who belong to Jesus. And so we are, the Bible says, we are his temples. And Jesus is Lord over these temples just as much as he was Lord over that temple in Jerusalem. He is the Lord of your body. Your body is his temple if you belong to him. And brothers and sisters, you and I are custodians of these temples, just like the chief priests were the custodians of the temple in Jerusalem. But they are God's temples. And Jesus is their rightful Lord. And we must honor Jesus in the way we use our bodies, these temples that we are custodians of. We must remember they are not ours, they are entrusted to us. If our bodies are God's temples, then they are to be used for the Lord of these temples. They are set aside for Him, they are holy for Him. Our hands don't touch sacred things, they are the sacred things. Our eyes don't see holy things, they are the holy things. You and I are the most sacred things in this building. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We must not use sacred things for sinful purposes. 1 Corinthians warns us not to take what is holy to God and, and use it for sexual immorality. Our bodies are sacred. They belong to Jesus. But it's not just about sexual immorality. A whole temple belongs... We are to serve Him. We are to live our lives for Him. We are to seek to glorify Him in all that we do. Otherwise, we are like those religious leaders who use the custodianship of the temple for their own ends rather than to honor Jesus, the Lord of the temple. The other place that temple theme goes in the New Testament is a description of God's people. Together, we are God's temple. When we gather together, it's like that we are individual stones in this, in this living temple. And God's Spirit dwells among us. And Jesus is Lord of that temple. He is Lord of His church. And so we must honor him as a church, not just verbally, but he is the head. It is not so much our church as his. And we really must let him rule us as a people. Must listen to his word and seek to obey him. The Lord himself went to his temple and found no fruit. Our prayer is that he will find much fruit among us as a people at St. Mary's. Finally, we realize as we read this passage that there are many people, including religious leaders, who will not give Jesus his rightful place. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders, they refused to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of the temple. They should have known better. 
They had the Old Testament. They had the witness of John. And even when pushed to work it out, they refused to do so sincerely. And there are many religious leaders in our world, including leaders of churches, who will not give Jesus his rightful place as Lord of his church. Do not be like such people and do not be influenced by such people. The fact that they are religious leaders doesn't mean that they are right. It just means that they're all the more culpable in their rejection of Jesus. So friends, brothers and sisters, Jesus had every right to rule his temple and he has every right to rule our lives and our church. We thank God that he has given us such a ruler. A ruler who not only rules us, but loves us. And has shown his love for us in giving his life to save the people whom he would rule. And so let us gladly and joyfully and happily and willingly surrender our lives to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is God who came to save and rule his people. Thank you that you have made us his people by faith in him. Thank you that he has taken away our sin by his death for us on the cross. He has purchased us to be his very own. And thank you that he has given us your spirit so that individually and together we are your temples. Father, please help us to realize the enormity of that responsibility that you have entrusted to us as guardians of your temples. Please help us always to submit to Jesus, the, the one to whom these temples truly belong. And so please make us more and more a people who delight to listen to your word, to believe you, and to obey you, that to an ever-increasing degree, Jesus may have the place that he deserves in our lives and in our church. We ask this in his name. Amen.